Hey everyone, you're listening to the Career Quest podcast created out of the Career Center. We will explore and discuss a variety of topics such as inspirational stories of Northwest students, work relevant skills for today's workforce, insights into organizations and their hiring practices, employment and labor market trends, and much, much more. We want to support students by maximizing empowerment through education and experience. Thanks for tuning in. everybody and welcome to episode 13 of the Career Quest podcast. Thanks for joining us today. We have a very special guest today. With us is Brittany McLeod. Brittany is the inclusion and accessibility consultant with the ACT program here at the Career Center. I'm so excited to have Brittany here today to talk with us about neurodiversity in the workplace. Thanks for being here, Brittany. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's good to see you, Tyra. So Brittany, tell us about yourself and your career journey leading to where you are now. Yeah, sure. Um, So just to start, I I wanted to start with an acknowledgement of the land and my gratitude as a settler to the Indigenous peoples of the land that I've occupied who are stewards and care for the land. And I want to thank them for allowing me to live, work and grow in their beautiful territories. So I grew up as a white settler on Treaty 6 territory in the Peace Country. That's the unceded lands of the Beaver, Cree, Dene, and Métis peoples. And now I occupy Treaty 6 territory in the Edmonton region, which is the unceded land of the Cree, Blackfoot, Métis, Nakota Sioux, Dene, Soto, and Inuit folks. So I am uh, very grateful to be here. And a bit more about me as a person is that I I call myself a neurodivergent woman. I use she, her pronouns. And that word neurodivergent sometimes has people asking me what it means. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about that in a couple of other questions later on, but I I can just give a, a brief explanation about why I say I'm neurodivergent. And it's because I was born with ADHD and sensory processing sensitivities. And I now also live with CPTSD. So I, my brain is just wired differently, you could say. And it's, it's always been that way. I do have 20 years experience working in various people support roles. Um, so it started off as a volunteer working with at-risk youth as a mentor and in a youth leadership program when I was a teenager. Um, I then moved into some paid outreach work as a young adult, working with newcomers to Canada and with inner city at-risk youth. So I worked with people uh, who had ages ages ranging from 15 to 30. And then um, I was the main programmer for the Schools as Community Hubs program at St. Alphonse School as, as an outreach worker as well which was really exciting. I learned a lot in all of these these roles. And um, then I completed my Bachelor of Education and I worked as a full-time classroom teacher for many years in the school system. And so all of this work and my lived experience being neurodivergent, it gives me pretty well-rounded experience with a huge range of age groups and building supportive environments for folks with many different backgrounds and different needs just so we can share space and feel like we all belong. So um, then I came here to Northwest where I was a career coach for almost a year in the ACT program, working directly with our autistic youth who are um, looking to access the workplace. And uh, so I would help them build a, a 
some employability skills, and I'd also help the employers to know how to take down some barriers to how the autistic youth can access the workplace because disability communities oftentimes have some barriers to accessing the workplace. And then additionally, autistic communities have in particular some very difficult barriers to accessing the workplace. So that's what our program targets is, is helping that specific group to be able to gain employment. Well, thank you for sharing that. Your career journey and your work experience seems to really lend itself to the role that you're in now. Um, so that seems like a really natural fit for you and what important work that you're doing. I also want to thank, thank you. you for, yeah, I also <laughs> want to thank you for uh, doing the land acknowledgement. You've definitely inspired me to incorporate that into the podcast intros. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> so can you tell us more about your current role, about the kind of function of that role? Yeah, absolutely. So just recently, I did move into my new role as the inclusion and accessibility consultant. And so now I actually work exclusively with employers um, to consult on how they can cultivate and foster inclusion for neurodiversity in the workplace. Um, there is a lot of interest uh, that has started to uh, grow and it's really great to see um, employers that are wanting to really in intentionally uh, provide strategies or supports or just access to employment for the neurodivergent community because there's so many great skills that are not actually being able to benefit employers if they're not employed um, but the employers sometimes feel a little bit uncertain about how to go about that justly and to make sure that, um, you know, they are, are being compassionate towards any differences, knowing how to support that from the business perspective. And um, so I, I assist there so I can consult uh, employers one-to-one. -one. I can offer training workshops, webinars, or specific training uh, for organizations upon request. Um, I can do policy consulting around, uh, you know, wording or different things to consider uh, when creating those policies uh, and making sure that they are inclusive to, you know, communities like the neurodivergent community. And then I can also assist business leaders to develop inclusion for disability plans um, so that they can kind of dive into that and making sure that's well-rounded in their organization. So yeah, I really feel incredibly fortunate to be honest, because like you said, it did sort of like lead there, it seemed from my life, even though it was not my original plan. I had no idea I would end up here, but it was something that uh, I was really excited to see open up and I feel really grateful yeah, well, I am now. Yeah, I know I've said this to you before, but I'm so happy that this role exists. It's it's so important, and I'm really happy that you're the person who occupies it because you are just such a perfect fit for it. Oh, thank you. So I know some people listening when we're saying words like neurodivergent, neurodiversity, it might be new for some people. So could you mm -hmm. tell us what is neurodiversity? Yeah, definitely. That is something that is a pretty big part of what I do, too, because um, lots of folks just want to have the type of language that really allows like people to be seen as they are. And I really appreciate that desire to to learn that language. And 
um, I, I'm not sure if things will sort of like evolve as time goes on, but right now they do sound a little bit more academic or medical, uh, but it is still the language that we use. Um, so neurodiversity basically is that there is a mix or diverse types of uh, neurotypes of the way that the brains are wired in different people. And it's natural the way that eye color can be different between people and that sort of thing. Um, so neurotypical is a, a word that is used to describe probably the majority of folks. Um, it's more like the average kind of like way that the brain is wired. So, you know, there weren't differences or major differences as you're growing up, meeting any milestones or, you know, participating in school or having any issues with performing day-to-day -day tasks or, you know, possibly experiencing ongoing social issues. Uh, there just weren't very many like instances of that. Um, and then there's neurodivergent, which means that, you know, the the brain kind of diverges from that typical wiring and it, it still develops and, and can perform many amazing things. It's just that it's slightly different than maybe somebody else who would be considered neurotypical. So it could include folks who are autistic, who have ADHD, PTSD, OCD, Tourette's, you know, dyslexia, dyscalculia, all of the things like uh, related to words and speech and numbers, and just having some struggles around communicating those those things. Yeah, well, thank you for that beautiful summary. <laughs> I, I think that the language saying neurodiversity is a step in the right direction, because we're acknowledging that it is a, a different way that the brain is wired. I think for a long time, the language that was used uh, may have been a bit more negative. And I think we're learning now that um, it's not negative, although there can be challenges, challenges associated, of course, and that really valid challenges. But I'm curious to hear what you have to say about the strengths associated with neurodiversity. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely have experienced some scenarios where it hasn't been um, viewed as being as positive. And um, I know that a lot of that really has to do with not having a lot of information about what it means. And if somebody or a group of people doesn't have a lot of experience even being around somebody who's neurodivergent, it can be uh, something that's kind of outside of what they know. And so definitely there's been a lot more work to talk about it, to put some words to it, and um, going away from more of the looking at the symptoms as being something that is really hard or negative, even though they can be disabling, what we found is that what's awfully more disabling for neurodivergent folk is the environment that they're in. And that if we're able to provide inclusive environments where folks can be as autonomous as they would like to be and uh, display their strengths, instead of only focusing on the parts of them that are different, uh, they're able to, you know, navigate life and, and be seen in a, a much more neutral or positive way. So it becomes more of the um, evening the score or making it kind of that same access. And I think that's really the big part is that inclusion and access to opportunities and allowing there to be diversity and how people go about their life. Um, and that is something that's still a growing understanding in so many different topics. So I, I think it's still doing so in, in the disability and neurodivergence 
discussions as well. But there are quite a lot of people who, who um, are either maybe diagnosed as a child or not diagnosed until they're adult or never are diagnosed, but have already always known that they're just not quite the same as the folks around them. And, um, but have also, when they've been given opportunity to be themselves and to access you know, resources that they're able to really find a life that they can thrive in and that really contributes to kind of society in general. And um, so I think there's, there's a lot of really great things to be said about just allowing people to come into life as they are and making space for them to be who they are and just demonstrate their skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful answer. It's more about a focus on how can we be inclusive, maybe incorporate necessary accommodation or just listen mm-hmm. to people when they're telling us about their needs so that people can thrive and they can shine and all of these like beautiful, unique strengths and talents and all of the things that make a person an individual can, can shine through and really contribute to not just the workplace, but just environments mm-hmm. in general in a way that's enriching. Yeah, and build their life as they they would like to, just like anybody else. And, um, you know, not from the toxic positivity side, because there are definitely struggles, like you said, but that if we can find a way to, to provide access to resources for folks to be able to overcome struggles or to manage things um, on their own or, you know, with less uh, barriers, then that's that's a way for them to be able to move through that and not need to spend their whole life focusing on their struggles and they can deal with them and move on to the things they want to do. Uh uh What are some of the struggles? What are some of the challenges that somebody who is neurodivergent might face within a workplace or just navigating kind of career trajectories in general? Yeah. Yeah. That I love that question because really it comes down to um, just how the way that information and opportunities are provided hasn't really been uh, fashioned in a way that matches what the neurodivergent brain thinks like. It's mostly been based on how neurotypical brains work. And sometimes they're not major differences. um, So they can be kind of like shifted quite easily and not cause a lot of upset, but it's just in the way that they are at that moment it makes it so that it's very, very difficult for neurodivergent folk to really understand the information coming towards them or to be able to use it in a way that, um, that they can you know, make autonomous choices and things like that. So an example would be even just barriers to schooling. Um, I know for myself, I, I do have lots of privilege even in my diagnosis and my disability where I am able to verbalize a lot of my thoughts clearly, and I'm able to take information in and process it and, uh, and be able to like demonstrate my understanding in the way that the school system is set up. And so, you know, I didn't have a lot of struggles with grades as much. Um, there were some, but that can be a big deal for many folks who are neurodivergent who have absolutely brilliant skills and abilities but because they're not able to read the, the, the sentence the way the teacher expects or are able to do the mental math the way that the teacher teaches, um, or then in, in post-secondary able to complete the assignments the way that the, the teacher wants it done, 
the professor wants it done, then that's something that can be a barrier. And when I was a teacher, this is something I faced where I was encountering students of different age groups uh, that were neurodivergent and struggling to access some of the curriculum I was teaching. And so I had to really be mindful of, you know, the way I was teaching it, the, um, the words I was using, my teaching philosophy shifted to just be more inclusive for that reason. The way I set up my classroom physically shifted so that, you know, there weren't any um, barriers to sensory needs. And, you know, when I, when I was able to navigate that, I was able to really help those students to learn, but it was like helping them to learn in the way that their brains were wired to learn. Um, and that's something that can be present and it's not always present. So I did encounter this myself becoming a teacher in my uh, degree that's normally completed in four years. It took me seven. <laughs> I was in school for seven years to be a teacher. Um, you know, and I was a single mom at the time as well and uh, complicated when my kiddo was five. And so it was a huge accomplishment for me because I did face a lot of those similar barriers uh, to accessing support or, you know, being able to ask questions to, to clarify some of the information in class, that sort of thing. And then on top of it, some other folks will even struggle when it comes to maybe uh, writing out their answers and uh, having the opportunity to express their understanding mm -hmm. in a way that actually matches how their brains are. Yeah. So that's where it starts. And then it can go into other things like the interview process, you know, um, having clarity on what skills are actually required versus what are just like ones that employers hope for, you know, how to conduct the interviews if somebody has, um, you know, some sensory needs and they struggle to make eye contact, it can be perceived as, uh, you know, not being um, engaged in the interview or possibly even being rude when in fact it's, it's usually not demonstrating their skills at all. You know, it's something that uh, if they were to instead have an interview that was more demonstrating their skills, instead of having a, a talking back and forth interview, then they would actually see just how qualified they are for the job. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's just some barriers along that way. And um, it kind of follows into the workplace and how, how, you know, agendas are sent out for meetings or how to communicate, you know, the different routines at work. And it's just basically similar to what I experienced when I was teaching of how can I, you know, make sure that the information is, is being accessed in a way that their brains naturally work. Mm -hmm. And then I saw really, really amazing gains in what my, my hope was as like the leader in that role. So that's sort of what I now consult on is how to, how to bring that into workplaces in appropriate ways for, for this scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Allowing for diversity, which is something that I, I heard you say a term that I heard you use, um, mm -hmm. which I think is a beautiful way to phrase it. And yeah, of course, that's going to include um, meeting people where they're at, listening to people when they say that, you know, they need a certain accommodation and things like the eye contact thing. Yeah. Like, can we shift our idea of what's considered professional when there are other ways to assess if someone is professional, such as if they are able to meet their objectives, if they are passionate about 
the role. Yeah. Well, and I think that's really the beauty of, you know, as we go through life and learn more about one another, things just evolve as we learn more. And I think it's okay to kind of change our minds, to change our practices to match, you know, what's actually known now versus what maybe wasn't known before. Absolutely. So what are some of the things that employers can do to be more inclusive? Yeah, I love that question because when I work with employers, I see how much they really care about their employees, obviously, and, you know, wanting to, to make sure that they have what they need but they can be nervous because they don't want to do something that would harm somebody or cause any insult. And so I I always like to talk to them about what they already have for skills. So things like really great listening skills, relationship building skills, um, being able to provide instructions um, in a variety of ways, being able to answer questions. Those are all things that, you know, neurodivergent folk often benefit from, Um, but they can be used like really specifically in certain strategies, but at least they're not things that employers really have to go out and learn brand new skills. You can really leverage the ones you already have. Um, And also just having curiosity about difference. It's like a basic inclusion skill Mm -hmm. and being able to take it from that perspective, because that helps um, that if something unexpected does happen, then assumptions aren't just made which usually end up being in a negative way towards something that is, you know, not as expected. So an example would be like, if your autistic worker or your um, neurodivergent worker has been listening to you describe something you need them to do, and they don't verbally acknowledge that immediately, it's not an assumption that they haven't heard it or that they don't understand. Um, So it's really great to maybe just like kind of circle back and and check for some understanding, being like, hey, I just want to make sure that, um, you know, you feel like you have everything you need to finish the task. Uh, Do you have any questions on that? Um, Because that's something that can that can be a bit of a misunderstanding, even though maybe everybody was on the same page. (laughs) I know that employers often ask me that question and um, autistic workers have responded with things like they would love. And if possible, as often as possible, um, how to step-by-step guides. Um, It's not something that they would always need for, say, tasks that they're, you know, really good at, that they've done for a while. But especially when they're just starting in the onboarding stage or they've had some training in school, but they haven't used it in that particular way at the, um, the organization, to have like step one, do this, step two, do this, and have them be able to just follow step-by-step on how to go about that task. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a, a wonderful answer. I love the being curious about diversity. I think that seems just like a key component. That's such an important piece to being an inclusive employer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not an expert, but I wonder if, you know, just the idea of believing people, does that seem like an important piece? Because when I think about this, I think about, you know, when people express their needs or say that Mm -hmm. they need a certain accommodation or something seems challenging and it would be easier if this thing was implemented, just, just believing people, even if you don't understand it, what do you think about that? I would agree. And that that is part of um, when it comes to like disability 
you know, inclusion in general is sometimes there can be, it's not always, but there can be an idea that somebody is less able because they may have, you know, demonstrated that they have a difference or maybe, you know, they, they're not doing it in the way that people would expect. So they might have a different way of going about doing the task, but they're still able to, um, in their own way. There is still a disability present, so it's not that you have to pretend to not see it, but it doesn't mean that every part of their life they're not able to do. And so sometimes I think um, there's a bit of a an unconscious bias. I don't normally see it as something that's very deliberate often, but there's just uh, an unconscious bias that, you know, they're, they are sort of like a people like me in the disability community are like wards to other folks who are neurotypical or are not disabled um, and that we need to be taken care of almost like children instead of like adults. So always being able to provide that kind of understanding that this is an adult in front of me. They just go about it differently. Having that curiosity is a big part of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Do you have any tips for neurodivergent employees when it comes to approaching their employer about accommodations? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because there is a lot of really great, uh, empowering ways to go about building the life they'd like, even if the confidence isn't always there at first, if they don't have as much experience. But over time, I've actually found in my own life that I've, I've become more empowered. And I've seen it in the program when I work with neurodivergent youth about how they're not sure at first and then given tools and ways to meet their needs, they become more empowered and they can go in and ask for these things that are actually usually either no cost or very, very low investment Uh, or they might even have what they need already. They just need permission to bring it into work, that sort of thing. But they find that they're just uh, more empowered to do so. And a big place to start for neurodivergent folk when you are asking for accommodation is to know the rights of employees. So knowing what the rights are of any employee, which actually does include being able to ask for accommodation. Like you don't have to have a disability to ask for an accommodation. Mm-hmm. And in fact, a large number of accommodations that are asked for and granted in workplaces are not uh, related to disability, mm-hmm. um, but they are related to that idea of having what you need to complete your job. And then also I always suggest too, that because employers and supervisors, they do have a lot of responsibilities and tasks that they are responsible for every day. And so just understanding that their role might be different than my role as the employee, that yes, part of their role is to hear me out and accommodate, but I'm also going to do my part to meet them in the middle. And so I'm going to write a list of things that I know work for me to meet this need. So I know that I might need headphones if the workplace is is really loud. And it doesn't mean that I don't want to talk to anybody. But if it's too loud, then I'm focused on the noise rather than on the work. So if I can wear noise canceling headphones and have a plan that if somebody wants my attention, they can come in my eyesight or they can like tap my shoulder or something. And I will take the headphones off and have that that interaction and then go back to work. I love that. I'm just in this moment wondering if there are some people listening and are curious about what kinds of things they might be able to be empowered to ask for. So could you give a couple more examples of accommodations that people might ask for? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, there are not uh, identical symptoms or anything like that amongst neurodivergence, but there are some common ones that you might find uh, within yourself if you're a neurodivergent employee or as an employer, you might notice in some employees that are. Um, and so always make sure that you're checking in with that individual person, but you might notice some common things. And one might be, you know, um, sensory needs, like I said, like with noise you know, it's something that can be, um, that can be easily brought in. And most folks have their own headphones, so there's no cost at all for the, um, the employer. Um, there's others where, um, it could be like maybe a place that's just kind of like a, an extra office where people can go and just like sit in the darkness or whatever it is they need, take a two minute break, and then go back um, because sometimes it just becomes very overstimulating. It's called where your body is just like really revved up and you can't just positively think your way past it. You actually have to go do some self-care to bring your nervous system back down to a more neutral space. Another one could be just having some flexibility on schedule. Like if folks are able to work uh, remotely, if they're able to, you know, work more hours at certain times of the day and then take a break and then come back to it later times in the day. Um, so I know it's not like strategies that can work within every organization, but it is something that, especially since our COVID times, there's many uh, organizations that have kind of stayed in a hybrid way of working from home as well as the office. And that's actually really inclusive towards neurodivergence because being able to kind of select the environment and uh, to be able to work within the, the time frame that your energy is actually really, really good is going to be the most productive. There's also the ability to ask for um, instructions given, you know, in that how-to step-by-step way, um, asking for accommodations like receiving the agenda to a meeting the day before, which I know is what a lot of managers do anyway. So that's another way that you can celebrate an already inclusive practice. Yeah. Um, if I can just add to what you're saying about instructions, um, mm -hmm. I know that an accommodation I asked for myself is regarding the way that I best learn new things. And this is something um, that is really easy to implement. Um, just the difference between if you are someone who, you know, learns best by maybe reading a, a list of instructions, or mm -hmm. if you need to be physically shown how to do something new, just however people learn best. I just want to empower our listeners that you can, you know, have a conversation with your employer about that. Absolutely. I totally agree. Amazing. Mm -hmm. What are some strengths that neurodiverse people bring to the workplace? Yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's several, and um, I love talking about this part of it too, because there's some really amazing abilities that you can find. And it's not always something that is uh, what you see in the movies. You know, that's something that can be really difficult in the neurodivergent community to kind of be stereotyped as, like to always be considered, you know, good at this one thing or just really like need to only be sit sitting in one topic. Although there are many times that across all different types of folks with neurodiversity and neurodivergence, they do have like their special interests. It really is about... Um, looking at kind of the way that they look at life as being like a benefit, because regardless of if they're 
we're really, really passionate about one particular topic, or if it's just the way that we go about thinking about and processing new information, or how quickly we can, or how um, meticulous and diligent we are with uh, really breaking down the details. These are all things that you would find within like a neurotypical community, but something that becomes even more, I guess, intense is because um, it's not something that is just within like a smaller period of time. It's actually something that my brain, for example, naturally does literally all the time. It's not just within certain like topics. Um, so a, a good example is that, you know, I like to know the details and I'm quite strategic And it's because I like to see the big picture and the way that I see the big picture might be slightly different than a person sitting next to me, but in like a way that's like a, like maybe they're sitting on one side of the arena and I'm sitting on the other side of the arena. So it's like the differences can be quite different and it can bring in a lot of innovation and a lot of ability to consider multiple types of information. So like employers and and organizations that are neurodiverse can be a lot more resilient over time in their industry because they have that kind of natural curiosity on their team. And then of course, there's like the individual uh, skills. So there can be some really strong time management accountability skills where it's like you say it has to be done by a certain time, it is done by that time and, and submitted by that time. And it's done exactly as the instructions said. And so um, especially if those instructions are, are done in the way that you know has been requested, you will find that there's actually quite really high quality work being done. Mm-hmm. Yes, so many wonderful strengths that you've highlighted there. Thank you for that. Do you have any final resources or words of advice uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners before we close off this episode? I would love to just remind of that curiosity, that really walking through life with some curiosity actually, you know, it, it helps people to just be themselves and still be able to thrive, to succeed, to contribute as they'd like. Um, it allows people to benefit from strengths of others, but it also, you know, really brings a, a type of stability, you could say, because you're not worried about things that might be different. You're curious about what might be different. Mm-hmm. And of course, not judging if there's some emotions that come up of like anxiety or worry, because that is normal. But, you know, I always love to go back to that curiosity because it's probably the place where I've never actually encountered a lot of really harmful results where I can just be curious and ask. And that usually will, you know, if something has become heated, it'll usually just help calm that situation down. Or, you know, if there is a lot of confusion, well, then I get to not be confused anymore. And, you know, that's something that I really have found as a neurodivergent person, as well as a professional, you know, working with neurodivergent folk and, that's something that I found has always been a benefit and it is really a hallmark of inclusion. Yeah. It's a great place to start. And I'm, I'm thrilled with that being kind of the, the thing that we leave on in this episode. Um, Just an encouragement to lean into curiosity and into open-mindedness. I love that. 
Thank you so much, Brittany, for being here. This feels to me like such an important episode. And I'm just so happy you were able to join us and share your insights with our listeners. Well, thank you so much for inviting me and, you know, giving space for this. Yeah, I'm just so excited to put this episode out. Thanks so much, Brittany. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Career Quest podcast. You can connect with the Career Center by emailing us at careercenter at norquest.ca or by visiting our webpage, norquest.ca slash careercenter.